Let's pray as we get started. God, again, we come to you with grateful hearts. We're thankful to be together this evening. We're thankful that there is love amongst each other in here. And God, we come here tonight because we're hungry. We're looking for answers. The world is trying to beat us down, and God, we're looking for an answer. And so we know that you are the answer for us. We know that you speak to everyday life, and you've done so through your word here in the book of Ephesians. So God, we ask for understanding this evening. We ask that you'd help us to learn. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you may know that I used to be in the Navy, and this was about four and a half years ago that I was that I'd gotten out of the Navy. But I was in the Navy for five years, and what's funny is people will always ask me when they find out that I was in the Navy, "Well, what ship were you on?" And then I have to tell them, "Well, I was actually never on a ship. Not well. I got to tour a ship one time, and then they think, tour a ship? What do you mean?'" And so I have to go through and, and explain to them that I was a CB and I was a ground troop and so I did construction and I also had to be prepared to engage in combat if that were to, were to happen. And so I did a deployment to Afghanistan and one of the things that they do, and this is for any ground troop, when you get deployed to a war zone is they're going to equip you with armor. Because if you're going to go into battle without any kind of protection whatsoever, you're either crazy or you're foolish. And, and, and they know that. Because when you go into a war zone, there's other people that don't like you. They want to kill you. And so we're trying to protect ourselves. And so they would give us body armor. And for us, in modern day 21st century, it would be a vest with pockets. And you'd put these big ceramic plates on the front and on the back and on the sides. And it would be to protect yourself while you're fighting. And this is, this is true of, of just anyone who's ever gone to war throughout all of history. You saw that in the video last week that even the Roman soldiers some 2,000 years ago, they had come up with all these awesome gadgets and all these ways to protect themselves. And they had a huge breastplate that was made out of metal and it was probably very heavy and probably uncomfortable. But they had some sort of protection because they knew they were going to war and they knew that there was other people who were trying to kill them. And so Paul is drawing on this imagery as he writes here to the Christians in Ephesus. And Paul is talking about the Christian life being a spiritual battle. And Paul, uh, Paul uh, Troy, spoke about this very clearly two weeks ago. He talked about how the Christian life is, is a war. And Paul makes that clear here in this passage. And so now he's giving us ways that we can protect ourselves as we, as we fight this war, as we go through this life. But I want us to be reminded of one thing before we jump into what the breastplate of righteousness is. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Well, we'll start in 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And I want us to be encouraged tonight, before we even jump in, that Paul says, You are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It is possible, it can happen, that you and I can stand against the devil's schemes. Because a lot of times, and I say that because a lot of times I feel like we don't think this is the case. Because often our own experience in our life is that when confronted with temptation to give in to our sins, we oftentimes feel like we can't do anything but give in to our sins. 
when we're standing face to face with the temptation to do whatever it is that we find ourselves doing that we know is wrong, and we've tried to get ourselves away from it, we've tried to repent, we've tried not to do it any longer, but time after time, we find ourselves face to face with it, and we feel like, I'm, I'm helpless, I'm helpless, I can't do anything but give in. And I got a feeling that that's not just one or two of our, our thought processes. We've probably all felt that same way. Because we all are part of the human experience. We feel very similar things. But Paul, from the beginning, encourages us that we are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And the other reason I say that is because I think a lot of us have a, a skewed view of what spiritual warfare is. Because anytime that we think about it, and I'll even admit that I, w- I was the same way for the longest time, that when someone says spiritual warfare, you just instantly begin to think of, of angels and demons fighting in some weird galaxy far, far away, and that's, that's spiritual warfare, and they're, they're fighting on our behalf somehow, and it just seems to be disconnected from what we know and what is familiar to us. Or, or even you may think of a place like Africa, where you see a lot of this witchcraftery type stuff and witch doctors and things like that, sorcery. And maybe we think that that is more of like spiritual warfare. But that's so different from our experience and what we know. And so we just think, spiritual warfare doesn't really mean anything to me. It doesn't really make any difference to me. But what I want us to see tonight is that I'm convinced that spiritual warfare is more so for, for you and I here in 21st century America, it's more so temptations to sin. Because Paul talks a lot about the schemes of the devil. He doesn't exactly tell us what all those schemes are, because there's probably way too many for him to name. But to think about the devil. He's the enemy of God. God hates sin. And so Satan, his, his whole point, is to try and get us to do what God hates. And trying to get us to sin. And so I think when, when Paul says that we need to stand against the schemes of the devil, he's talking very much so about standing against sin and, and hating our sin and fighting our sin. And so I want us to think about it from this kind of mindset as we jump in. So we look at verse 14 tonight. Last week, Marcus taught on the belt of truth, and then tonight we're going to look at the, the breastplate of righteousness. And, and our, our text is very simple. In verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So he doesn't elaborate on this breastplate of righteousness. He doesn't go into a discourse on what he means by this breastplate of righteousness. He just simply says that we need to put it on. So it kind of left me with two questions. Number one, what exactly is this righteousness? And then number two, how does it help us in standing against the schemes of the devil? So look with me again at verse 14. He starts by saying, stand, therefore. Now this is a command of Paul. Paul says this in a way that he means it that this is not an option for you. This is required of you. You need to stand, therefore, and then he says, he gives us ways that we can stand, okay? This is, the, this is the ways that we're able to stand. And then he goes on to list all these different pieces of armor. 
But standing is a command, and it's not optional for us. But we're not having to stand by ourselves, which is really awesome. Paul doesn't just say, okay, now I need you to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Don't give in to your sin. Don't give in to the schemes of the devil. Don't do the things that he wants you to do. End of chapter. Paul arms us. He tells us how we can stand. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. I think this is really, really important for understanding the entire armor of God. Paul tells us that we are commanded to stand against the schemes of the devil. And read with me, starting in verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having, your eye, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you are called, and that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now Paul is just simply introducing his letter here, but he's, he's stating some incredible truths. Paul says, I want you to know what, the, what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards those who believe. And then look what he says about this power. He says that, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the very same power that you and I have access to as believers in Jesus Christ is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. But not just that. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as the head over all things to the church. This is important to be reminded that Jesus has all authority. God has all authority. He has immeasurable power that you and I have access to as believers in Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says that you, are, you need to stand against the schemes of the devil, Paul knows that you and I are not alone in this stand. He knows that we have access to this great power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him above every name that is named. We have access to this very power. But now Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, is getting very practical with us. He's giving us practical steps on how we stand against the schemes of the devil. And he's giving the idea in, in association with pieces of armor that we can put on. Now, a lot of people will say that Paul was, he, he was in prison at this time. That's not what a lot of people say. That's a fact. Paul was in prison when he wrote this, and most likely chained to a, a Roman guard. And so a lot of people will say that Paul was probably looking at this Roman guard, examining the pieces of, of armor that he had on, and he's making spiritual correlations between the two. Uh, and so a lot of people, it, when they preach about these, these certain, uh, you know, the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness, when they preach about these certain things, they try and find you know, some deep, deep correlation between the actual belt and truth. Or they try and find a deep correlation between the breastplate and the righteousness. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong but I don't think that's exactly what Paul's doing, specifically with the breastplate of righteousness. 
So Paul tells us that we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And what Paul is doing here is he's drawing our attention to the Old Testament. Now many of you may be not familiar, or maybe you don't know that the, the Old Testament contains a reference of a breastplate of righteousness. But these people in, in Ephesus at the time, the only Bible that they have is the Old Testament. They don't have the New Testament yet. And so when they read their Bible, they're reading through the Old Testament. And so they're probably going to be very familiar with the Old Testament, much like you and I are very familiar with the New Testament. And so when Paul quotes the Old Testament, these people are going to know it. They're going to be reminded. It's going to jog their memory, and they're going to be thinking, hey, wait a second, I've heard that before. So Paul mentions the breastplate of righteousness. Listen to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. This is talking about God coming down from heaven because his people have been uh, persecuted and he's coming to rescue them. So this is talking about God. He said he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So we've got two things talking about God that we see in this passage as well. We've got the breastplate of righteousness the helmet of salvation. And I think when Paul writes those things to the Ephesian people, he's drawing their mind back to the fact that God describes himself as one who wears a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. I don't think Paul is just randomly making these correlations between a piece of armor that he sees a Roman wearing and a spiritual truth. I think Paul knows what he's doing and he's drawing our attention to the fact that, hey, be reminded that God is a warrior And he wears a breastplate of righteousness. So now let's look at this breastplate. What is is righteousness? So that's the first question that we have to ask ourselves tonight is, if we're going to put on a breastplate of righteousness, we're going to have to know what righteousness is. And this, in and of itself, trying to explain righteousness could go on forever because the Bible talks so much about righteousness. But what I've done for you guys is I've tried to break it down into three simple categories that we can understand righteousness. Three different ways to look at righteousness. Okay, so number one is that the Bible teaches us that God is righteous. God is righteousness, okay? Listen to it. i got a bunch of different verses, okay? Psalm 145, verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all of His ways. Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Psalm chapter 7, verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge. Psalm 11, verse 7 says, The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. Psalm 103, verse 6 says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And Psalm 111, verse 3 says, Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. Now this is just the psalmist. We could go on forever talking about all the different passages in the Bible that talk about God being righteous. But we can clearly see that righteousness is a part of who God is. It's part of His character. It's it's part of His being. That God is righteous. Okay, that's number one. Number two. Righteousness is the power of God for salvation. Now, I've got four examples. I've got two Old Testament and two New Testament. So hang with me on the Old Testament because they don't specifically say the word righteousness in these passages, but just listen and I think you'll understand what they're saying. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. 
He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. So we've got this idea that God is rescuing the lowly. He's saving them. And this goes right along with Psalm 103, verse 6, which says, The Lord works righteousness for all who are lowly and oppressed. Okay, listen to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Again, we see God acting on behalf of those who are brokenhearted, those who are poor, those who are needy, those who are meek. And it goes right along with the character of God that He is righteous and that He works righteousness for all who are oppressed. So clearly, God's saving people flows out of His being righteous. Now, two New Testament examples. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Listen to verse 17. He says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says... The gospel is the power of God for salvation and the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. There's clearly a connection between God's righteousness and His salvation, Him saving people. One more. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. He says, but now, this is Paul still speaking, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. We could go on with other examples, but the point is we see that God's saving power and His righteousness go hand in hand in so many ways. So many times we see that God's righteousness is directly connected to Him saving people. So number two is righteousness is the power of God for salvation. But number three, and this is what I want to argue is the way in which Paul is using righteousness. Righteousness here is the ethic of the people of God. Now that may sound weird, just, just hear me out. Let me explain it, and I think it'll make sense. Um, I looked up just a simple definition of the word righteousness. Uh, and it said, the act of doing what God requires. So we know that God is righteous. That means that He is right, that He does the right thing all of the time. And so righteousness is the act of doing what God requires. He requires us to do right things to do what is upright, to do what is holy, what is in accordance with His character. So to be righteous means that we do the things that God requires. Okay, We know that as, as Christians, this is a major part of what the Bible teaches us. Specifically Paul. Now if you're familiar at all with any of Paul's letters, most of them, when he writes them, there, there's two main sections. There's a theological section where Paul says, hey, th this is what's true about God. This is how God is. This is how He acts. This is what He's like. And then Paul will oftentimes, in the very end of his book, say, because of that, therefore, this is how we ought to live. I just got done teaching through Colossians to the youth. And Paul does the same thing. Paul's the author of Colossians. He does the same thing. He gives us truths about God. He gives us truth about Jesus, what Jesus has done for us. And then he says in chapter 3, since therefore we have been saved by God, 
we then seek the things that are above. And so Paul moves from these are the true things about God that we need to know, and because we know them, this is then how our lives are changed. This is the way we live now. But every time that Paul gives us, and, and any biblical writer, they give us commands for how we are to live, every single time it's always based in who God is. So as Christians, we're called to be upright people. Why? Because that's how our God is. God is upright. He is holy. He is blameless. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't steal. And so we don't do those things as well because we are required to be like our God, to do the things that he requires of us. And so every single time that we see or that we're told how we should live by Paul or any other biblical writer, it's always based, always based in who God is. And we saw from point one that God is righteous. And so this is where I get the idea that I think Paul is talking here about a way of life. That when Paul is saying that we put on the breastplate of righteousness, he's talking about the way that we live. That we need to live righteous lives because God is righteous. Because he lives a righteous life. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Here's where Paul is making the shift in Ephesians. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Again, in, in chapter 5 verse 1. He says, therefore, be imitators of God... My, as beloved children. So here's where Paul is making this shift from, this is what's true about God. Now here's how we live. Here's how this changes our life. And so now we find ourselves in chapter 6, and Paul is giving instruction on how to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul knows this is going to be an everyday part of our existence, that we're going to be tempted to sin, that we're going to be tempted to do things that God does not like. Paul says, stand firm against those things. Don't give in to them. You don't have to give in to them. It is possible to stand. So we need to do things in a righteous matter, in a righteous manner, because that's the way God is. So if Paul really is talking about our ethic and the way that we live our life, well, then how does that help us stand in this spiritual war? That's the question that is posed to us now. Okay, we, we understand a little bit more about righteousness now, but how does that help us stand against the schemes of the devil? Well, simply, if you are going to pursue righteousness in your life, if you are going to, each and every day, seek to be more like God, to be righteous, you cannot at the same time follow after your sin. The two don't happen at the same time. They can't go together. You can't be seeking to be righteous and, and trying to be as God has called us to be, trying to obey God, and at the same time continually giving in to your sin. The two don't happen at the same time. It can't work. But you may still be wondering, well, no, that's, that's not really going to work because I've tried that. And I think all of us can say that. That we, of all, we've been convicted of our sins and we try. We try so hard to be like God. We try to be righteous. We try to repent of our sins. We try to put the, the bad things behind us and we try and be like God. We really do. We read our Bibles. We want to know what God is like. And we seek and we try to be like God. But yet every single time that we find ourselves face to face with our sin, with that same temptation, whatever it is, 
we still feel helpless and we, we feel like we have to give in. There's no way out. I can't get around it. So what do you mean just, just try and be righteous? Well, if that's, if that's you, and if that explains your life, and if you recognize that cycle, then you may very well be trying to put on the breastplate of righteousness, but you're forgetting the key aspect of all of it. And that comes in chapter 1, when Paul says, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have access to this immeasurable power of God. The same power that he used to raise Jesus from the grave. There's a a dead man, okay? Think about Jesus and Lazarus. You've got a dead man who's been in the grave for four days and he just says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man, a man who had no breath, his blood was not pumping, he didn't have a pulse, he's probably starting to stink. All, All of a sudden, he stands up and he walks out of the grave. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. When Jesus was dead in the grave for three days, we don't know what God said, but Jesus rose. He's now alive, okay? And now, not only is He alive, but He's above everything that there is. That's what Paul is saying. This is great, immeasurable power. It cannot be contained. And Paul is saying that you and I have access to that power. It's available for those of us who believe. And so you may very well try and put on that breastplate of righteousness, but if you're not relying on God, if you're not looking to God and asking God for help, then your breastplate's really not going to help you. See, we need to be reminded that this breastplate is the armor of God. Not our armor. I think oftentimes we try and put on the breastplate of Jake or the breastplate of Troy fill in your own name. And we try to put on our own armor because we want to be able to fix ourselves so that God will be happy with us. That sounds really good and really noble, doesn't it? Man, if only I can just put on my own breastplate so I don't have to use God's. He'll be so happy with me if I can stand against the schemes of the devil. But I promise you, every single time you will fail. Listen to what the the author of Hebrews has to say. It's perhaps one of the most encouraging passages in all of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. There's a question about it, but whoever it is, he writes, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavenly places, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Now these next three words are probably the three most important words in the Bible. Yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in every respect as we have been tempted. In every single way that you and I have ever been tempted, Jesus was tempted. Yet without sin. Verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The author is telling us that Jesus, just like you and I, was faced with all these schemes of the devil. Every every last one of them. 
The devil was trying to get Jesus to sin, to give in to his temptation so that he would not be perfect, that he could not be our perfect, spotless lamb. But he failed. In every respect, Satan failed. And Jesus was victorious. So now he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. How many of us often, when we're tempted to sin, we pray to God with confidence that he can deliver us? I think a lot of times we just, even when we feel tempted, we haven't even given into our sin yet, we feel tempted, we feel dirty. Like, man, God, I can't imagine him even looking at me right now. But the author of Hebrews says that let us draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. And look at why. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anytime that we stand against the scheme of the devil, that we are confronted with sin, that's a time of need. That's a great time of need. And what Paul would say to us is that, yes, we put on this breastplate of righteousness. And when we do that, it, it means that we, our lives change and we don't pursue after our old pursuits, our sins, our evil desires. And we pursue after godliness. We try to be like God. But at the same time, we also have to know that this armor is from God. And the power is not in the armor itself. The power is in God. The power is in the throne of grace. And that while Jesus was tempted in every respect, as you and I have been tempted, he was yet without sin. So for you and I to stand against the schemes of the devil, we need to put on a breastplate of righteousness. We need to live in a way that we do what God requires of us. But yet we also need to be continually coming to the throne of grace with confidence. Knowing that we'll, what we'll find there is grace and mercy to help in time of need. I think that's what we all need to hear tonight. Because we're all going to walk out of this place and we're going to come to a point in our life where we're face to face with our sin. We're being tempted to sin and everything in us just wants to give in. Just, let me just do it, get over it, confess it. And the cycle continues. All of us need to be reminded that the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead to set him above all things so that he'll have the name above every name that same power is available to you and me if only we'll draw near to the throne with confidence. Knowing that we can have victory over sin because Jesus has granted it to us. It should be great encouragement for us tonight. Let us put on our breastplate of righteousness, but let us not forget that the power in the breastplate of righteousness to stand against the schemes of the devil is in our perfect spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, who was without sin. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that Jesus is our perfect spotless lamb. And we thank you that we can have victory. We can 
stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It's possible. So God, I pray that you would remind us every time we're face to face with our sin that although we pursue a righteous lifestyle, although we try our very best to honor you by living a life that does what you command, we cannot do it outside of the grace and mercy that you provide through Jesus, who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. God, remind us all of that the next time we're face to face with our sins. Help us to hate our sins, to repent of our sins, to run from our sins. And help us to stand firm, knowing that life is a war. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.